This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It is a significant anomaly in our cancer care system and it's hurting patients. That's why advocates, politicians and patients are preparing to go to Queen's Park to demand that the government cover chemotherapy drugs that come in pill form. The way things stand now, if you need chemo that's delivered intravenously in a hospital, it's covered. But if you need treatment that you can take at home in pill form, you have to pay and the cost can be huge. Now, I've had personal experience with this. With intravenous chemo, I would have to sit there basically all day while the thing went through my veins and my veins grew more brittle with each treatment and the drug often burned going through. When I was switched to a pill for a few months, it was much, much easier on me. And frankly, I was lucky it was an old drug and that meant it was not as expensive as newer drugs, but even for the old drug, the cost was something like five or seven hundred dollars a month. Okay, so believe me again, not only are these pills easier to take, you don't need nurses to administer them. You don't have to travel to the hospital. You don't have to sit there. And Ontario has become an outlier because the Western provinces all treat take-home cancer drugs and hospital-administered cancer drugs on an equal basis. And just last month, Nova Scotia announced that uh, funding for take-home cancer drugs uh, would be in the budget. So when you look at this situation, it, it seems like it simply is some kind of weird oversight. But the campaign for this type of coverage has been ongoing for years. I don't understand it. Uh, Right now, let's go to Robin Markowitz, who is the CEO of Lymphona Canada, and Marianne Scott, who is a caregiver to her husband, Paul, who needs drugs on an ongoing basis. Ladies, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, Let's start with Robin. Uh, Why has this campaign taken? Excuse me, taken so long? We don't really know exactly why it's taken so long because innovation over the many years has increased overall survival for cancer patients. For lymphoma, the research has been really strong. Currently, there are 20 new and existing treatments being investigated to treat lymphomas. Out of those, nine are take-at-home therapies. And so even if they become listed on the formulary, patients will not be able to receive them unless they have the funds to pay for them. And that is certainly a concern. But this is an issue for all cancer patients because more and more, about 50% of therapies are oral now and about 60% on the pipeline are oral or take-home therapies. So by making a line in the sand of Ontario public payers saying we are not going to fund these therapies. It's cutting off 
so many patients. And in terms of what the best therapy is for patients, Lymphoma Canada, as many cancer organizations believe, that decision is left for the doctor and the patient to decide. We don't have any particular say or commentary on one therapy over another. What we want is access to the best therapy available for patients, and that's what they want. Maybe. Well, well, exactly. Um, depending on what you have and what stage your treatment is at, it, you know, the the drugs that are prescribed might be different. Uh, let's go to Marianne. You're a caregiver for your husband, Paul. Can you give us uh, give us a story? What does he have to take? Uh, what's the cost, and how do you pay for it? Uh, Paul was diagnosed with kidney cancer in 2013. Um, After undergoing surgery, he was fine for about a year, and after that, a CT scan showed some um, some, uh, metastases that had gone to his lungs. At that particular time, um, his oncologist decided that his only uh, course of of treatment would be uh, an oral drug, and um, he started on a drug called Votriant, and the cost of that drug was $6,500 a month. Wow, oh my goodness. And, you know, like, we're, we're retired, we're pensioners. We, we don't have those kind of funds. So what, what they do in that particular case is there's a program called the Trillium Program, but you have to apply for it. And it's not easy to get all the paperwork done. In fact, it's so complicated that they now have people called drug navigators who help you through the system. And then even, it takes weeks, sometimes it takes months to get everything uh, properly completed and then to go through the approval process before you can actually take that, um, that prescription to your pharmacy and have it filled and start your treatment. So with Paul, it took, it took somewhere around six weeks before he could start taking his drug. And then um, now he's on a second line of treatment, also an oral, and uh, the delay after paperwork and all that was almost two months. And, and you had to do all the paperwork again because they switched his drugs? Uh, it was a different drug, a different program, and uh, yes, it had to be done again. And it, it was a different program. So, and, and this new drug, this new drug is even more expensive. It's, it's about $10,000 a month. I have no idea how people, you know, are able, you know, if they don't have private insurance, how they can treat their cancer if their only course of treatment is an oral, which I think is the case for many people. Who and, have cancer. And there's there's one thing that I would like to point out about those delays, and, and Robin, I'm sure you can speak to it, is, you know, cancers, some of them progress very quickly, and there isn't that much time, and your cancer can progress while you're waiting for this drug. The idea of these drugs, and if, if someone's cancer has spread, it's considered incurable but you can be in remission for a long time if the drug works and by delaying it um, you're just increasing the chances that the cancer will grow and spread more that's absolutely correct that's certainly a concern with lymphoma 
many subtypes of lymphoma relapse frequently. So patients are on treatment, they go into remission, then the, the cancer progresses, and they go on to, into treatment again. And so having to wait, if it's an oral or take-home therapy, for the paperwork to be processed, for some patients means, as you pointed out, their, their cancer will have progressed significantly. And for other patients, it does means that they, their life is essentially over. Cancer can't wait. And, and that's what our patients tell us. Timing is very, very important. And for many, the time frame is quite short. Yeah. Let's uh, take a call from Linda in Toronto. Hello, Linda. Hello. Um, back in 2007, my husband was diagnosed uh, with glioblastoma, which is the same brain tumor that Gord Downey had. Yes. Sorry to hear that. Uh, yep. The social workers called us both into the office and said that he would um, he had had surgery, and they removed a lot of it. Uh, couldn't get it all. He would have received radiation. But they said the chemotherapy he would have to have would cost $35,000. Oh, my goodness. And we didn't have $35,000. Um, they suggested that we uh, apply for Trillium immediately. And um, that was about it. Uh, we were... In shock, I was trying to figure out how do you get $35,000 in a hurry, and if we, if we couldn't have chemotherapy, um, then glioblastoma is a very aggressive uh, brain tumor, um, and it was going to pretty much seal his fate. And did you did you get the did you get the drug? Did they approve it? Well, ironically, um, a couple of days later, uh, the physicians notified us because my husband was also on uh, dialysis that the chemotherapy that he needed had to be dispensed from the body um, within a certain period of time of it being administered. And because he was on dialysis, that couldn't happen. Uh, so they couldn't do chemotherapy after all. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. during that two days, um, we were shell-shocked. Uh, I can certainly understand that. I mean, there's, there, you know, um, when you're diagnosed or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, there's a lot of stress and shock involved. And, and something like this, I mean, you know, here in Canada, we go up thinking that if nothing else, we're not going to have to worry about paying for the treatment. But suddenly it's like, wow, that's not exactly the case. Yes, and the shocking thing that the social workers told us was, that for a lot of forms of skin cancer, um, it's the same thing. The drugs are not covered by OHIP. Yep, that's right. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to give uh, the numbers out again because I'd like to hear from other people if they have any experience of this kinds of things or um, anything to say about it. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And I am with Robin Markowitz, the CEO of Lymphoma Canada, and uh, Marianne Scott, who is a caregiver to her husband, Paul, who um, has metastatic 
kidney cancer and uh, is on various drugs, has been on various chemotherapy drugs, which are keeping him in remission, uh, but which are expensive because they are pill drugs and not intravenous drugs. And, and Robin, can you speak to the stress people feel as a result of this? Well, as you pointed out, a diagnosis of cancer is certainly devastating for families. They have to figure out the economic situation, child care, so many various issues. And then to have to figure out how to pay for therapy is above and beyond. It adds to the stress level. It adds to the emotional uncertainty, future uncertainty. Many are without one salary at that point, or if they need a caregiver, without two. So it, it is certainly an issue. And I want to point out that the Western provinces all have parity between take-home cancer drugs and hospital-administered drugs. So Ontario, as you said, is an outlier, and, and we're not really sure why. Um, uh, do, you, do you recall when the Western provinces gave parity? Because I think it's been a while. Different provinces at different times. It's really, again, the whole thing is a mystery to me because I know that uh, Cancer Care Ontario has groups uh, of doctors, oncologists, and and various disciplines, and, and they're the ones who decide which drugs are covered. There are some drugs that are covered on a case by case basis. You can you can make an appeal, and usually, um, eventually, the argument that this is covered in another province kind of wins out, though it can take time. So, um, again, Robin, do you have any insight into those committees and, and where this might be at? Unfortunately, I do not. This particular campaign that is dozens of as many, more than 30 different cancer organizations have participated in CanCertainty together collaborating on this issue. We don't know why it's taken so long. We're, this is about three and a half years in, and we certainly had hoped by this time this issue would be resolved. Um, yeah, again, it's like I'm scratching my head. It's a mystery because it seems, it's, it seems pretty crazy. Um, Marianne, I mean... Uh, do you know other people who are in the same situation as you? Well, it's a funny thing because I posted about this radio interview just this morning on Facebook, and I got a response from someone here in town in Cambridge, and um, the, the gentleman is a firefighter who also has metastatic renal cell carcinoma. And um, the comment he made is that he just started a drug that's $9,400 a month. Wow. So I, I, I identify with what Linda said about the, the, the strain and the shock. She used the word shock, and that's truly what happens to you when you know, especially if you know that there's treatment out there. For instance, uh, I'm looking on the uh, CanCertainty website, and um, it has a, a number of in, infographics for uh, different types of cancer. I'm looking up here brain cancer. There are 29 different take-home cancer drugs that, that treat various kinds of brain cancer. I'm, I'm not sure what would be appropriate for her husband, but in addition to that, there are 55 new or existing drugs that are being investigated for use in treating brain cancer. And if you go 
to the uh, CanCertainty web website. It's uh, www.cancertaintyforall.ca and click on Resources and click on Papers and Infographics. You can go down to uh, where it says Infographics and click on any one of the cancers and it will tell you how many oral drugs are available to um, treat that. Well, okay. I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Um, they're available, but at the at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's not something that you pick from a drop down menu. That people with cancer go to oncologists, and their oncologist decides based on their own personal situation, and it's what we call personalized medicine. They'll tell you what your drug should be, and it it's just um, you know, it, it's almost irrelevant how the drug is delivered. Um, so, yes, it's, it's, it's just um, very strange to me. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that the hugely spiraling, escalating cost of cancer drugs is, is a big issue, and it's very hard for the government to keep up with it, but I'm not sure this is the way to do it. Let's go to Jean in Palmerston. Hello, Jean. Hi there, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. Um, I have a, a different aspect to put to this. I had bowel cancer and I was told I'd have surgery and you could have knocked me over when they gave me the diagnosis of cancer. I didn't expect that at all, but in any case, had the surgery, had positive notes, so I had to go for chemotherapy. My meeting with my oncologist, she gave me the options. It was full fax regime. It's available PO or IV, but your survival rate increases with the IV. And I said, well, go, I'll go for IV. I want this gone. I've got grandchildren I haven't met yet. What they didn't tell me, her, her response to me was, then don't whine to me about the neuropathy. Okay. Oh. I won't do that then. I ended up with neuropathies. I'm a registered nurse. I'm still not back at work. It's been two and a half years. The chemotherapy destroyed my bones. I slipped getting out of the car last night or last year in February. Sorry to hear that. Tibial plateau fracture, a lateral malleolus fracture. I've since had spontaneous fractures in my ankle that nobody can explain. And I'm going to physiotherapy twice a week and pool therapy three times a week and trying to get back to work. They simply don't give us enough information. Nobody presented this as an opportunity or a a possible outcome. Her, Her words were, don't whine to me about the neuropathy. Um, that that um, that's uh, not exactly bedside manner, but I guess a, no. a, a warning of sorts. Are you saying that the pill uh, of the pill form of the same drug didn't have the same wouldn't have the same side effects? It, it would have decreased, so I had a twenty five percent chance of recurrence after the surgery. Um, the pills would take it down to seventeen, and the IV took it down to twelve. So okay. I'm going. Well, I'll take the IV, but I mean, and I'm a nurse, but I don't do oncology. I do dialysis. We don't. We don't get a lot of experience with the range of drugs, but once you get into it, you find out how very many drugs there are out there in the treatments, but the treatment for bowel cancer is pretty standard. Uh, Folfax is the usual routine, um, unless there's mitigating factors. Um, and I looked it up and I asked when I started, I said, this drug could leave you a leper. Well, the drug, the Folfax, it's a combination of, of yes. three or four yes. drugs. And yes. I mean, chemotherapy is not... And it's oxaliplatin is the one that causes the uh, neuropathy. Yeah, and, and, you know, frankly, not in everyone. It's very individual. No, it, it does in almost everybody during treatment, but most it disappears after treatment. I'm one of the 13% that had residual. 
neuropathy. Well, I'm very sorry to hear about your experience, and, and thanks for sharing it. Yeah, and I just, they need more information to make educated choices as well as funding for the appropriate drugs. Okay, thanks for your call. Thanks so much. Okay, let's go to Siva in Toronto. Hello, Siva. Hi, Libby. I just wanted to say, my husband was diagnosed in 08 with a bowel cancer, and it was very aggressive, and he was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And those people in the hospital, they didn't give him the drugs that he was supposed to get. But they wrote it down on the paper. They told the doctor Mr. Bradshaw was given the medication. And he wasn't given any medication at all. And I know because I stayed in the hospital with him day and night. And when I said, the doctor came in and she said to me, Mr. Bradshaw was given his medication. And I said, no, he was not. And she said, well, the nurse said that. Mm-hmm. So I walked out to the nurse's station and I said, excuse me, you did not give Mr. Bradshaw his medication. Was and there was said, there any issue about whether it was uh, intravenous or a pill? And the it, co- was, it was a pill, you see. But because the pills were so expensive... They didn't want to give it to him. I, that so, sounds that sounds fishy. That, it was horrible. It was horrible because I told the nurse right in front of the doctor. I said, "You did not give Mr. Bradshaw his medicine. Why would you have written it on the paper?" And then she apologized to me and said they were out. I said, "Well, you shouldn't have written it on the paper." So I guess there are a lot of people that this type of thing happens to. And if you don't know, you don't know. So you're a cancer patient, you're dying, you're in the hospital, and they don't give you the medication. They do this a lot. I, many I, people Siva, have told me this. Siva, I, I would be very surprised if this happens a lot, but thanks for telling us your story. Um, back to Robin and Marianne. Um, Robin, who do you have on your side with this in terms of politicians? Well, certainly... We have a number of politicians who are working with us, and they would include Gila Marto. She's our sponsor for our Awareness Day tomorrow. And we're meeting with a number of politicians as well tomorrow, and at our press conference, we will have the opposition health critic, and we will have Bill Frazier as well. So we are hoping that this year... And that would be Franz Galina, Bill Frazier. We're hoping that this year we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. We can explain how important this is and that we can convey the stress that patients are under because, frankly, patients believe when they go to a doctor and a doctor says, this is the best treatment for you, that it will be covered under the Ontario plan. They are often in shock when they call us and say, I was told I should have this therapy, I don't have insurance, I am under 65, and it costs upwards of six figures a year. There's no possible way I can afford it. What do you suggest I do? Um, Do you have any idea how much money is given out under the Trillium Fund? I do not have that figure. Okay, because I'm, I'm even wondering, you know, I'm I'm sure the amount of money is an issue, but they probably give out 
millions and millions of dollars under the Trillium Fund, and and I don't, you know, regularizing that might be, you know, just as easy a solution, and you wouldn't have to administer it. Anyway, good luck to you. Uh, Marianne, is there anything you would like to leave us with? I would just like to say that um, we have created a health care system that is so administrative heavy that it makes delays and costs additional money. It would be nice if that money actually went into funding these drugs. Um, I agree with you both. Good luck with that. And uh, okay. callers, uh, let your MPP know if this is something that's important to you and something that you want to see happen in Ontario. I'm going to thank Robin Markowitz. Well, may I just say one thing? I wanted to just mention some of the MPPs we will be meeting with tomorrow because I misquoted. So it will be Michael Harris, Franz Galena, Anna Hargot, Hargot. And John, and John Frazier. Okay. So we are, I would like to mention and thank them very much, and of course, uh, Gila Martreau, because they have been supportive of this issue, and we want to meet with them and discuss how we can move forward. Okay, ladies, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Liz. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to switch gears to something that's a little unusual uh, for the show, and uh, it's a real opportunity for people. We're going to be talking about hair and uh, hair as we age and what are the best things to do to improve your image. It's important for confidence, uh, so listen up. We're going to be talking to a hairstylist to the stars. Um, if you even want to send in a picture, you can send it to my email and we can have a peek at it. I'm at Libby at Zoomer.ca. That's L-I-B-B-Y at Zoomer.ca if you want to send in a shot and get maybe some advice. Uh, that's going to be coming up after the break. Uh, so uh, we'll be right back with that. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.